0: Welcome to Epiphany Brooklyn's podcast. I am Brandon Watts, lead pastor here at Epiph. Thanks so much for tuning in. Our desire is to join Jesus in his mission to redeem our city. May God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in each week. Grace and peace. Grace and peace, family. My name is Pastor Derek Parks of Epiphany Church in Wilmington, Delaware. Listen, I'm so excited to be with my Brooklyn fam up here today. And so listen, uh, I'm so grateful to the Lord for all uh, that he's doing in the life of Epiphany Church here in Brooklyn. Man, you guys are killing it. For Jesus, Listen, we watch everything that you guys do because we try to copy it because y'all fancy and fly up here in Brooklyn. Y'all got all the good stuff going on. And so us down in little old Wilmington, Delaware, even though we got the president, uh, we're down there little old Delaware just trying to serve Jesus and make his name famous. Um, and so we're so grateful to the Lord uh, to be in partnership with you guys to serve the Lord together. Uh, but more than that, to be a family together with one another. And so we're rooting for you guys up here in Brooklyn each and every day down in Wilmington. And so I'm so grateful to be here, to be able to bring the word of God to you this morning. Uh, But I wanna pause to give honor today to your pastor and my brother, Pastor Brandon Watts and his lovely wife, Ty. And thank you for the invitation, brother. I'm so grateful to the Lord to be here, to be able to share the word of God. And so I'm going to do that. (laughs) I'm going to jump into this word and I'm going to share with you today. The Lord laid on my heart a message titled, Proclaim. And so as I look at this idea of proclaim, I want to help us today. I want to help us to understand from the book of Acts what it looks like for us to be proclamation people. Now, I, I, I think that's very important. I think that's quintessential is because we have the greatest message that was ever told in our hands. We have the greatest message that could ever be proclaimed of the greatest person who ever lived named Jesus. And so in order for us to proclaim that message, we've got to understand a little bit about what we're proclaiming. And so I want to help us today from Acts chapter 4. Verse 12. And so uh, I'm going to read that passage and then I'm going to share with you guys some of what the Lord has laid on my heart to share with you today. And so in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, we hear these words from our Father. Verse 12, it simply says this it says, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name. Under heaven, given to people by which we must be saved. Father, I pray by your spirit, God, that you would lead me and guide me today. God, I pray God by your spirit that you would help me to communicate to your people the words of life today. And Father, I pray by your spirit, God, that you would stand in my body and think through my mind and speak through my mouth today, God, and let the words of my mouth and meditations of my heart be acceptable to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. There was a missionary by the name of E.P. Scott in India, and he was ministering there when he felt called to an obscure region of India. Now answering the call to that place, he went forth, and after two days of travel, he suddenly found himself surrounded by an armed band. They surrounded him with spears pointed at him. And being at a loss for what to do, he took out his violin and began to play and sing this beautiful hymn All Hail the Power of Jesus' Name. Now, understandably afraid, he stood there singing and continued to sing, but he was doing that with his eyes closed. And by the time he got to the third verse, he opened up his eyes. And to his astonishment, he began to see the men who surrounded him with spears now surrounding him on the floor. But they were on the floor with tears in their eyes. And on that day in India, it was again rediscovered that there is power in the name of Jesus. And at this point in the proclamation that we see in our passage, Peter here in his sermon is making the same proclamation that there is power in the name of Jesus. Now, I want to give us some context to help us better understand this passage before I get too excited about this verse. Because, listen, if, if you grew up like I grew up, I grew up in church. And anytime somebody would just shout out the name of Jesus, people would get excited because we understood that there was power in the name of Jesus. And so, family, listen, I, I want to help us today. I'm going to give you some context. This, this passage that we are in we're seeing the growth of the church. In Acts chapter 2, we see on the day of Pentecost that, that the Holy Spirit fell and, and that, that the church began to grow. Peter stands up and he makes a proclamation. He, he preaches a sermon on that day and 3,000 people come to know Jesus. And then he he's there making a call to repentance. And then he goes forward in Acts chapter 3 and he's walking into the city and, and he heals a man who was lame. And the man... He's sitting there by the gate and he asks Peter for some money. And Peter responds to him and tells him, He says, Listen, silver and gold I have none, but what I have I give unto thee. In the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. And so now, this man who had been lame, who had been by the gate all these years, he's now walking around the temple. He's hopping up and down throughout the city and he's proclaiming the goodness. Of God over his life. And so when God is doing stuff in people's lives, as is often happens, there's some people who start hating. And so there were some people who started hating on what was happening in this man's life. This man who couldn't walk before, he's now able to walk. And so people are starting to question what's going on. And so they find out that Peter is the one who was responsible for healing this man. And so they go to Peter they try to find out what's going on from Peter. They jam Peter up. They ask him, like, what took place here? What happened? They asked him, how were you able to do this? And then Peter responds to them in Peter-like fashion by saying, if you mean perform a good deed for someone who was sick, then we did that by the power of the name of Jesus. And so Peter here, he, he, he gets arrested. And so Peter gets arrested and, and, and they're trying to question him and find out what happened. And they're trying to see what took place. And Peter here, he doesn't stop by just telling them that that happened through the power of Jesus. But he lets them know that if you're going to be saved, if you're going to receive salvation for your souls, then there is salvation and no one else but Jesus. And so that's where we are right here in this passage, Peter. Is proclaiming to them. He's proclaiming to these religious leaders. He's letting them know that power for salvation is in the name of Jesus. Now, this is such a critical thing for us to understand today, Brooklyn. It, it's so critical for us to understand because of who Peter is talking to. Peter is having a conversation with the religious leaders of the day who thought that they knew how to get to salvation. See, these people thought they had an understanding of what it took to get to God, but the reality is this, is that Peter comes in and he shifts and shakes up their whole reality to inform them and instruct them that I know that you think you understand where salvation comes from, but salvation comes from Jesus Christ alone. He lets them know, he said, Listen, this Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who was crucified, this Jesus who you thought you put into the ground, this Jesus, he is risen and he is the one by which salvation comes. And so, Peter here, he sets up this remarkable claim to this group of religious leaders and they were stunned by his boldness. <laughs> See, everyone there would have understood exactly what Peter was saying when he pointed them to the fact that salvation can be found and no one else. Here's what they would have understood. They would have understood that Jesus, that Peter was making a claim for the deity of Jesus because every Israelite knew they all understood Isaiah chapter 43 and 11. Every one of them would have known that passage of scripture. And that passage says this, it says, I, I am the Lord and beside me, There is no savior. (laughs) And see, Peter, understanding that Jesus was that savior, understanding that Jesus was in fact the savior of the world, he is dropping some truth onto their head. Peter woke up that morning and chose violence. And he said, listen, I know y'all think that y'all got it, but listen, I'm here to violently disrupt your situation and let you know that Jesus is the source of salvation. So Peter here, he's letting them know, listen, he says, there is salvation and no one else. Peter is big swagging here in this passage. He's big swagging here in his encounter with the religious Jewish rulers because he's letting them know, I know that you understand that, that you only have your power because the Roman empire has given it to you. And Peter is demonstrating to them some truth in the presence of the Sanhedrin. He's letting them know here that, listen, I, I know that, that, that you think that I don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, because in fact, in verse 13, it says that when they saw and observed the boldness of Peter. It says that they were amazed because they knew that these men were unlearned men and uneducated and common men. And so Peter is in here dropping truth on them, although he may not have fit within the societal structures that they set up for someone who was supposed to be dropping truth onto them. But Peter, an uneducated man, Peter, a common man, was still able to bring truth into a situation because cause of who he knew was to be the source of all truth and so peter is proclaiming to them listen that salvation is in no one else but jesus And listen, I'm going to pause parenthetically to help you understand today that you don't have to be the most educated person in order to proclaim the name of Jesus. You don't have to be the the, the most educated person. You don't have to be a special person in order to proclaim Jesus. All you have to know is that salvation is in the name of Jesus. Tim Keller puts it like this. He, He shows us how these men... By reason of being uneducated in this circumstance, by, by reason of not having anything that they could call in terms of backing them up from an educational standpoint. He shows us that these ordinary men were showing that salvation was available to all people. It was no longer something that was available to a special elite group of people. Peter's proclamation here to these religious leaders is proclaiming that salvation is available to everyone. And so Peter here, he's pointing them to Jesus in this proclamation. He's showing them that the ordinary is now being eclipsed because of the glory of God. And he's showing them in this passage, he's teaching them that salvation belongs to God. Here's the reason why this is so important. Because the word used here for salvation was a common Greek epithet for the gods of the day. See, the, the word used for salvation was taught, it was often used to talk about Zeus and Apollos, but also it was a word used that talked about the active personalities in world affairs like Epicurus and other rulers like Ptolemy. So this word here, soter, is, is a word that was used, it was a common word used to refer to the gods and to popular personalities of the day. But what Peter is suggesting to them is this, he's letting them know is that that, that Jesus, not the personalities of the world jesus not the greek rulers of the day jesus not the common gods in the pantheon of the greek of of the greek pantheon not any of them it is jesus who is the one who has salvation in his hands he's talking big here he's letting them know that salvation and safety and deliverance belongs to jesus He's letting them know that he said, listen, and it's in no one else. Salvation belongs to no other person, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which they must be saved and family. I want to help us today to understand here that the scripture unfolds for us what salvation looks like. Scripture describes a fourfold salvation that we have to understand as we prepare ourselves to be proclamation people. So when we proclaim Jesus and we proclaim salvation is in his hand, here is what that salvation looks like. We are saved or we receive salvation from the penalty, the power, the presence and the pleasure of our sin. I'm going to help you out. I'm going to explain these to you. We, We are saved from the penalty of our sin in this fact. The scripture tells us that the wage of sin is death. When we sin. Sin is anything that violates the law of God. And I just want to help you because the scripture helps us. It lets us know that we all have sinned. Each and every one of us are sinners. It's not one of us that is free from sin. The only one who was free from sin was Jesus Christ the Lord. And so the the, the scripture teaches us that Jesus, he saves us from the penalty of our sin, letting us know that we don't have to pay any kind of payment for the sin that we have committed. We don't have to pay any of that. That because Jesus has already paid the penalty for our sins. Next, you have to see that we we are saved from the power of sin in our lives. See, we sing the song that the power of sin is broken. Jesus has won it all. We were all singing that song last week for Easter. Uh, But the reality is this, is that some of us are still struggling with the power of sin over our lives. But Jesus has provided us with salvation from the power of sin in our lives. Some of you are saying stuff like, man, you just don't understand. It's so hard for me to stop doing this. You don't understand. It, it, it's so hard for me to, to, to stop falling into sin in the ways that I'm prone to fall into sin. But the reality is this, is that when you are in Christ, you have the power of the Holy Spirit living on the inside of you. And the power of the Holy Spirit is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. So if you are in Christ, you've got resurrection power on the inside of you. So that means that you can stop struggling with the stuff that you're struggling with because jesus has set you free from that stuff we see here that we that we are saved from the presence of sin in our lives so many of us we've got so many lingering sins in our lives that nobody knows about See, so many of us have some sin in our life that, that we won't tell anybody and we won't confess to anyone. But the reality is this, is that you can confess your sins to your brothers and sisters through living in community with one another because you aren't bound by the presence of sin in your life. The only thing that you are bound to is the fact that you have been purchased by the blood of the lamb and he now offers you Freedom from the presence of sin in your life. Lastly, you are saved from the pleasure of sin in your life. I get it. I understand some of you struggle <laughs> because sin feels good to you. I understand. Listen, there are some things that you just can't give up. There's some stuff that that just feels too good for you to be able to let it go. But I want to let you know here, family, that you have been saved even from the pleasure of sin in your life. You are set free from that in your life. And I want you to understand this is that the, the, the salvation that is offered to us is a salvation in the here and now But there's also a future sense to this salvation. So I want you to see is that the sum of the benefits of blessings which Christians who have been redeemed from earthly sin, who have been redeemed from the earthly ills of sin, we enjoy a future reality of salvation that is going to come in the visible return of Christ from heaven, and he comes to consummate his relationship with us here on the earth and in eternity for the kingdom of God. And so what we get family of God is we get freedom from sin right here on the earth. We get freedom from sin in our lives, but then ultimately we get the future salvation where we no longer have to experience the presence, the pleasure, the power, or the penalty of sin in our life whatsoever. And so he tells them, he says, listen, there is salvation and no one else there is salvation in no other name because there is no other name under heaven given by which people must be saved. When, Paul, when, when, when Peter said no one, he meant no one. <laughs> he, he was letting them know that there's not one person who remains here on the earth there's not there's not one name here on the earth whereby people must be saved there is no other name where people must be saved he's telling us here this word for name is a word that talks about the character or authority of a person and what he's teaching us is this he says that there is no authority in your life that is able to bring salvation to you other than the authority of Jesus Christ in your life he's letting them know this word also suggests that the the cause of reason or something. The word for name talks about the cause or reason for something. And there is no other cause. There is no other reason in your life that brings you salvation. And the problem that we face is that so many of us, we try to pursue salvation and empty things. We try to pursue salvation in people and places and other names that cannot give us salvation. And it always comes up short. We always feel empty at the end of the day because we have not embraced the name of Jesus for our salvation. He tells us, family, he says, there's no other name under heaven. I don't care who you're listening to. You, there's nobody else you can call on to save you in your darkest night. There's nobody else you can call on to save you in the midst of your most fiery trial. There's no other name that you can call on to provide you with salvation in the midst of, of, of the difficulties of your life. There is no other name except for the name of Jesus. You better learn how to call on the name of Jesus in your dark hour. See, the problem is, is that so many of us, we get trapped up into circumstances and situations, and the first thing we do is we call our friends up. The, the first thing we do is we want to call Bay up and, and f- help and have them help us figure out the situation in our lives. But listen, you better learn how to call on the name of Jesus in the midst of your trials. You better learn how to call on the name of Jesus in the midst of your circumstances. But most importantly, you better learn how to call on Jesus for salvation for your soul. Because it is only in him that you have Salvation. And so, family, I, I want to help us today. He tells us, he says, that there is no other name under heaven <laughs> given by which people must be saved. There's no other name. And so what we get to see here is that within the cosmos, within the, within, with, with, within the world, the universe, in the vaulted expanse of the sky, there is no other name given to us by which we must be saved. There's not one. Not one other name except for the name of Jesus. And listen, uh, we, we know this from the scriptures, that there is a day that is coming that every knee will bow. <laughs> There's a day that is coming where every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is, in fact, the Lord. And here's what I want you to know. I want you to understand this, that this name has been given to all peoples. See, I, I, it doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter what you look like. <laughs> it doesn't matter what, you, what you're shaped like. It doesn't, it doesn't, none of that stuff. It doesn't matter what your skin color is. None of that stuff matters. That name has been given to all people. So every human being without reference to their sex or nationality has the ability to receive salvation from Jesus. Now, why is that so important? And and I I want you to understand this is because Peter is speaking to, in this passage, he's talking to some religious leaders who thought that salvation came through their laws. He's talking to some people who thought that salvation came from their practices and from them doing all of the things that they thought they should do in accordance with the law that they have created in order to sustain the law of God in their lives. And, and, and because of that, they had developed a sense of exclusivity that made them believe that salvation was only something for them. But Peter here is prophetically proclaiming to them. He's letting them know that salvation belongs to every single person, regardless of their sex, regardless of their ethnicity, regardless of their nationality. Salvation is available to them. And as I stand here in Brooklyn, New York, a melting pot with all types of people, all colors, shapes, sizes, whatever you can come up with. I need you to know that salvation is available to every person, regardless of what what you look like, regardless of what your color is, regardless of what your gender is, salvation is available to you. And the means through which salvation is available to you is through the name of Jesus. (laughs) See, the means by which salvation is available to you is by you being in the position where you can call on the name of Jesus. See, when I was a kid, I came up in church and they would have us... uh, (laughs) Uh, around the altar. The altar was just like this this circle uh, <laughs> a banister, uh, this semicircle banister where, where people would come and that's where they would kneel down to pray. And they called it the altar. And so we would be down by the altar and, and we would have to we would have to be by the altar and we would have to learn how to call on Jesus. And so we'd be at that altar and we'd be calling out to Jesus. We didn't necessarily know what was going on, but we will be there calling on the the name of Jesus. I was just a kid, but they would tell me just call on the name of Jesus. And there was a certain point in my life where I would be there, and I'd be calling on the name of Jesus, and I didn't have any idea what was going on. But because we were being taught, we because we were being taught the Word of God, we were we were being able to to learn the Word of God. We did stuff like Sunday school, and they would march up all the kids in Sunday school, and they have us stand up in the front and tell us, ask us the question: What is the God? And we would have to answer that the gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I was able to recite that stuff, and I didn't have any idea what it meant. But there came a point in my life where I began to understand what the gospel truly was. There was a point in my life where I began to understand that the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ would bring life into my dead estate. And I began to understand that Jesus was the reason that I was now able to walk in the newness of life. And so those days where I would be around the altar crying out to Jesus, it didn't mean much then, but it means so much to me now because when I get into a situation, I know how to call on the name of Jesus. When when I get into a rough spot in life, I know how to call on the name of Jesus. When I'm seeking for my for my family members to come to know Jesus, I know how to call on the name of Jesus on their behalf. And you've got to learn How to call on the name of Jesus. I love the end clause here. It says this. It says that there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. Peter is urging them and and, and showing them that there is a necessity for people to be saved. That there is a need for people to be saved. And, and, and this is so important because in our day and age, so many people don't believe that they need salvation. So many people in our day and age are unaware of the fact that because of their sin, when they stand before God who is holy and righteous and just, when they stand before him, they will not be able to give him an account for the things that they have done and it be considered satisfactory enough for him to allow them to continue in his presence forever. See, so many people think that just because, just because they understand what heaven is, that they're going there. See, so many people think that because they have a knowledge of what heaven is, that that means that that is their final destination when they leave here. In fact, so many people think that when they die, they turn into angels and all that kind of stuff. But the reality is this family is that there is a necessity for you to receive salvation. There is a need for you to receive salvation, and that need is because of the brokenness of of humanity that was set into motion when Adam ate from the fruit that God told him not to eat from. And the scripture tells us because of one man's sin, we have all been birthed into sin and shaped into iniquity. But the good news of this is, is that through one man named Jesus, salvation has been brought and we And be restored to new life and we can be restored to right relationship with God the Father, so that when we stand before Him at the judgment seat, we'll be able to point to, to one on behalf of our account because our account is filled with sin, our account is filled with iniquity, our account is filled with so many things that violate the law of God. But when we get there, when we have trusted in the person and work of Jesus when we have trusted in the name of Jesus for our salvation, God won't see us when we stand before him. He'll only see the blood of his son that covers us. And when he sees the blood, when he sees the blood of his son that covers us, he will count it to our account as being fully satisfactory that our debt has been paid and that we now have life in him because of what Jesus has done for us. Family of God, there is a necessity for us to be saved. Family, there is a need for us to be saved. (laughs) That necessity is in reference to what is required from God on his end. See, so many people, they try to say, well, only God can judge me. And I laugh when I hear that, because the reality is this, let him judge you then. <laughs> if only God can judge you, then let him judge you. You're not going to like the result of God judging you. And family, the only way that you're going to like the result of God judging you is if you have trusted in Jesus Christ, the Lord for your salvation. Now, family, here's what I want us to understand. As believers in Jesus Christ, we are called to be proclamation people. Scripture tells us that we are are ambassadors for Christ. And the result of us being ambassadors for Christ is this, is that we are called in every place and point that we find ourselves to proclaim the goodness of Jesus Christ to every person that that we can find. And the message that we proclaim is acts 4 12 is that there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given to men and women by which we must receive salvation that salvation is to save us from perishing here's the good news john chapter 3 verse 16 says for god so loved the entire world that he gave his only begotten son, whose name is Jesus. And whoever would believe in him, that person would escape the perishing and find everlasting life. Then Jesus shows up on the scene, John 10, 10. He says, I've come that you might have life, and have it to the full. Family, that is the greatest proclamation you could ever make. (laughs) To tell people that there is a Savior who came and died for your sins in your place a death that you should have died in order to pay the penalty for your sin. But he, the Savior, took the penalty on his back on your behalf when he was whipped and beat and mocked and spit on and flogged and hung on a cross for you and me. And when he died, he went down into the grave, but he got back up. He resurrected, with all power in his hands, and as a result of that family of God, you and I get to be proclamation people who proclaim the greatest message that's ever been told. Family, if you're if you're listening today and you don't you don't you don't know about that Jesus, I want to encourage you to get to know him. If you don't know about that Jesus that I proclaim to you today, He is a good savior. In fact, the scripture tells us that he is mighty to save. Translate that, that means that he is willing to save you, despite of what your brokenness might look like. In fact, he's willing to save every person in your sphere of influence, regardless of what their brokenness looks like. And so if you're listening and you and, and, and you haven't trusted in Jesus, I want to encourage you to trust in Jesus today. Here's how you do that. The scripture tells us that if we confess with our mouths and believe in our heart that Jesus Christ is the Lord, then we can be saved. And so once you make that confession based on your belief, find yourself in a loving church like Epiphany Church of Brooklyn and get yourself connected to some brothers and sisters who have been saved from their sins and who are being saved from their sins currently and get in relationship with them so that you can learn how to walk together with them as you both learn to trust the Savior. And so family, it's that simple. It's that simple. All you have to do is trust in the name. (laughs) The scripture tells us that Jesus has been given a name that is above every name and that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess on the earth, under the earth, (laughs) that Jesus Christ is in fact Lord. Won't you trust him today? Won't you trust in the Savior? He's able to save. Father, I pray. By your spirit. God, I pray that someone would come to know you today. God, I pray that you would use these words that I've spoken through your spirit. God, to transport somebody from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. God, I pray that you would use these words, God, to transform someone from being spiritually dead to being spiritually alive. Father, we know that there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven whereby we must be saved. Help us to recognize that and know that. Help us to walk in that reality. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.